Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Chris Hewitt. One of the first film critics I remember reading religiously as a teen growing up in Minnesota, Chris Hewitt was hired to his dream job as a film critic at the St. Paul Pioneer Press in 1993. A lover of the works of Agatha Christie and fun floaty pens, Chris has been preparing for his professional career reviewing movies since he started keeping a movie diary at age 11 now covering both film and theater. For my old hometown paper, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Chris is looking forward to the day that it is safe to see both in person once again. I am so pleased to welcome him to Watch with Jen and Friends today. Hello, Chris. Well, I will jump right in. So, Chris, how are you doing and how are you adapting to pandemic life? I'm doing pretty well, I guess. And um, I guess the main app that, well, the main app adaptation is the same one everybody has. I'm not seeing anybody ever, uh, and I'm working from my basement. But I feel very fortunate to be able to work from my basement. So knock wood, uh, I'm lucky to do that. How about you? Okay. I am doing well. Like, at first, it was crazy. But, yeah, writers, we can write anywhere, and I pretty much work from home anyway. So. But the fact that we can't go a lot of places, I think, is just kind of hanging over us. But overall, adapting pretty well. Yeah. One thing I love is that you started keeping a movie diary at age 11. That is around the same age I was when I first started getting serious about film. I was so nerdy that I actually wrote an entire Leonard Maltin-style guide, like, in middle oh, school. What a great idea. Yeah, so we would have gotten along famously. What was yeah. it that inspired your movie diary, and do you remember what it was like? Like, did you have a rating system? It, I bet my mom still has it somewhere. I should look. But I would, uh, every movie I went to, and I think it was only in the theater, not like, at that time it was still kind of a big deal when, two years after they had been released in theaters, movies would show up on ABC, NBC, or CBS. But I think this was only movies in the theater, and I remember I would cut the ad out of the newspaper and paste it in the scrapbook, and I think, you know, probably just two sentences. I don't think I did do a star or letter rating. I think I just did a little capsule review and left it at that. Okay, cool. I would love to see that. If your mom finds it, take a screenshot and put it online. I would love that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up reading your reviews back in Minnesota. It's funny. I lived mostly in the Minneapolis suburbs, so we got the Star Tribune, which is where you right now. And while, I mean, Jeff Strickler was great, of course, but every morning when I would go to school, I loved reading your pieces at the Pioneer Press. And I really got the job in 93. So what was it like reviewing film in the 90s, and how has that changed over time? Gosh. Well, uh, I'm trying to remember. The whole story of how I got the job is just kind of 
nuts because I had no experience as a movie critic or as a daily newspaper writer, both of which were required. So it was kind of a fluke that I got hired. And I remember the very, pardon me? I said, oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, I basically just bugged them for six months and sent them sample reviews and said, I'm the guy you should hire. And finally, they kind of relented. And weirdly, uh, I was working at the, I was doing PR for the Ordway Music Theater right before I was hired by the paper. And I was still at the Ordway when the Pioneer Press said, hey, it's Christmas movie season. And one of the big movies was shot in Minnesota. It was Grumpy Old Men. Would you mind, even though you haven't actually started here at the paper, would you mind going to the junket in Beverly Hills and interviewing Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon and I think they said Anne Margaret, although it turned out she didn't attend the junket, so I didn't talk to her. But anyway, would you mind going to Beverly Hills and uh, writing these stories for us, even though you don't officially work here yet? So weirdly, I started the job you know, as a person like in any job, not even positive I could do it since I'd never done it before. And mm-hmm. essentially the first thing I did was sat down in a swank hotel room in Beverly Hills with Jack Lemon, like one of the legends of the business, and oh, had to God. figure out how to interview him. Uh So I kind of had to hit the ground running, and it turned out great in a way that the paper and my editor at the time, whose name was Pat McMorrow, essentially acted like, we know you can do this, so we're going to throw you into the water and and let you uh, figure out how to navigate the deep end, which worked out great, actually. Uh, But anyway, so yeah, so the reason I guess I thought of that is because one thing that has changed is in the early years, I used to go to a lot of movie junkets, and then money for that dried up after probably maybe I went to them, I think I went to them three or four times a year for the first 10 years I had the job. And then after that, pretty much only ever it seemed worthwhile for the paper to pay for me to go if there was a local connection. Like, I would go to the Cohen Brothers ones. Um, so anyway, that's a big change. Obviously, the kinds of movies I saw over the years changed a lot, becoming much more, I would say, blockbuster-oriented these days than they were when I started in 1993, where I think, you know, there would only be a couple of those a year, and the the rest of things would be the truthfully, a lot of the stuff that I like the most, which is uh, interesting smart thrillers and romantic comedies and all of those things kind of haven't completely gone away, but they certainly have diminished over the years as we've gotten more and more superhero movies. So, I don't know, those are some big changes, I guess. And that makes me sound very old, which I don't mean to. Oh, no, not at all. Hey, I was going to movies back then and saw the change as well. Did you, I cannot remember, did you cover film festivals? Um, well, the local one, of course, always. Yeah. I only ever went to, I did, wasn't really covering them to cover them. I went to some because there were periods of time where a lot of studios would make available um, directors and stars at film festivals. So if you went, you could really kill a lot of movies with, with uh this is a mixed metaphor, kill a lot of movies with one stone. So I ended up going to the Toronto Film Festival two or three times. One year, I know that was where North Country, which shot in the Twin Cities, junketed. So I went there, and Mm -hmm. I went for 
Burn After Reading, which is a Coen Brothers movie, but I never have been to, for instance, Sundance or Cannes, which I hear is prohibitively expensive. Um, The Toronto one is such a nice festival. I was pleased every time I got to go to it, and you would have... I ran into Brian De Palma, who's one of my favorite directors, just in the subway one day, and we chatted on the subway as we were going to a theater. So it's kind of (laughs) fun how that community develops around movies during that two-week period in Toronto. For sure. Well, as someone who has been writing about film for so long, how do you keep it fresh? Have you changed your approach? Do you do anything differently? I don't think so, and I don't feel like that has ever really even felt like an issue now that you say that, because the movies always keep it fresh. I mean, there's always uh, an exciting movie to write about or something new happening in the movies to write about, and even if I'm expressing dissatisfaction with the superhero-ness of movies, there are some good superhero movies, and there continue to be movies that aren't superhero movies, so... I think the movies have have made that possible. Yeah, great. Well, I know you're a big Agatha Christie fan. So how Mm. did you get her books, and do you have a favorite? I started reading her books because my when I was probably probably around that same age, 10 or 11, my grandma had um, paperback editions of them laying around her house. Uh, and actually, they might have been my great-grandmother's, now that I think about it. She lived with my grandma at the time. Anyway, uh, and I think she just loaned me some, or maybe I just picked some up because I was staying there. I was one of those kids who started reading books for adults um, almost before I got into books for kids. So I sort of skipped over that step. Oh, and gotcha. I just started falling in love with them and pretty quickly, I think, decided to you know, get through all of them. At that point, she was still alive, but she was at the very, very end of her career uh, and died not too long after I started reading her books. Um, So, yeah, I just started reading them. And about that time, uh, the uh, adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express that stars Albert Finney and was made by Sidney Lumet came out. So I think it happened that my uh, discovery of her, put a discovery in quotation marks, coincided with uh, one of the frequent uh, revitalizations of interest in her that has has come along uh, every few years. So she was kind of in the zeitgeist at the time I was discovering her. So it made it kind of easy to become an Agatha Christie fan. Yeah. Do you have a favorite film adaptation? Is it the Sydney Lumet? Yes, it is. I don't think there are a lot of great film adaptations of her work, and I hear that there are good TV ones, but I never really got into the PBS, either the Poirot series or the Miss Marple series. I've seen a couple of them. But somehow yeah. they never, I don't know if they didn't jive with my image of them or somehow yeah, they didn't yeah. ever seem right to me. But, yeah, I do. I love the Sidney Lumet movie, and uh, I have the DVD, and I watch it all the time, actually, still. Yeah, that's my favorite as well. And I enjoy the David Suchet ones, but I agree for somebody who has read some of her books. You do have a totally different mental picture 
I feel sometimes it's a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know that when the, the Lumet movie came out, a lot of people had took issue with Albert Finney's performance yeah. too. And I don't know if he was exactly what I at the time had in my head, but yeah. I would say that subsequently, at least he has become what I have in my head. Yeah. Uh, as, I think when I read those books now, I sort of picture someone who, if he isn't Albert Finney, looks a lot like Albert Finney. But I would yeah. say too, that, that, that movie started um, a, a series of Agatha Christie adaptations in the 1970s, but Albert Finney only did the one and Peter Ustinov took over for him in Death on the Nile, which is also really, really good. And yeah. I think Evil Under the Sun, too, which is pretty good. So yeah. I'm open to other Poirots, but I think Albert Finney may always be my favorite. Yeah, he was excellent. Well, whether it's TV or movies and on the job or off, what have you been watching lately? Is there anything you'd like to recommend? Recommend? I've been, it's so hard to keep up with the new streaming offerings that are coming out. Yeah. Um, I've been, I've, the paper's having me review one title a week, and A, I don't feel like I have a great handle on everything that's coming out, and mm-hmm. B, it's kind of hard to decide what that one title's going to be, because there are so many options in so many different places, but... Uh, the movie that I reviewed this week is The Burnt Orange Heresy. Did you see that? Okay. I haven't seen it yet. For this week, I'm doing Out Stealing Horses, because I do a movie a week now, too. <laughs> ah. Uh, I read that book, but I have not seen the adaptation. Oh, okay. Um, I have not read the book. I, yeah. It's great. Uh, and I have not read the book... Uh, Burnt Orange Hersey, although as a former Minnesotan, you might be interested to know that it turns out there are quite a few Minnesota connections in the movie. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's from Sony Pictures Classics, and it's directed by the guy, uh, his first name is Giuseppe, I'm not remembering his last name, but he directed that Italian thriller, The Double Hour, about a decade ago. Did you see that? No. Oh, Jen, you've got to watch that movie. It's really fun. It's a super okay. twisty psychological thriller. Um, and I remember at the time thinking, gosh, I need to keep my eyes peeled on this guy. And I have not subsequently seen any of his movies until Burnt Orange Hersey, which Mick Jagger is in and uh, Klaus Bang or Bang, however you say his name, from The Square is in. And Elizabeth Debicki is in it. Donald Sutherland's in it. It's a pretty good cast. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of a art world, chicanery, heist sort of kind of a thriller. I'm not sure if thriller is exactly the right word, but it's fun. I would recommend it. And it's actually the movie that is, at least here, the first new movie in theaters since, I think, March. I saw it online, but um, it's opening. It's not going to be streaming at all. It's only opening in... Uh, I think about a dozen theaters here starting on this Friday. So that's the um, latest thing I've seen. Yeah, I've heard really good things about Mick Jagger in the movie. Somebody was yeah. saying, we need more Mick Jagger in movies. And he is always such an interesting presence. So I hope yeah. I can see it. 
he's really smartly he's really smartly cast in it. He plays this kind of wily millionaire art collector, amoral, perverted guy who for we don't exactly know how he knows everybody's secrets, but it seems like he knows everybody's secrets and he is essentially always teasing that he's about to reveal them. Mm, um, and everybody, it's one of those movies where it seems like everybody in the movie is probably lying. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, Shot at the Devil. The oh, Humphrey okay. Bogart, Truman Capote, is that the right title? Is it Beat the Devil or Shot at the Beat Devil? Beat the Devil. Sorry, it's yeah. Beat the Devil. You're right, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of that, uh, in that people are posturing and, one woman is supposedly from near Duluth, Minnesota, but you never really know if she's telling the truth about that. And ah, anyway, yeah, cool. he's well cast. I can't wait. That sounds really good. Well, you and I have talked over the years on social media about some of your favorite movies, but I don't think I've asked you for a list. Do you happen to know what your favorite, like, 510 or 15 movie favorite movies are? Well, at one point, I think this was a thing that was maybe going around on Facebook about five years ago. Um, somebody I know and actually see or used to see when there were still screenings here, used to see it screenings a lot, was challenged, <clears throat> excuse me, challenged to come up with a list of his 100 favorite movies. So I, mm-hmm. at the time, came up with a list of my 100 favorite movies and... I suppose there have been some changes since then, but I for sure remember that my top three was um, Blowout, the Brian De Palma movie, Citizen Kane, and Shoot the Moon, the movie by Alan Parker, who just uh, died last week. The one I still need to see. Yes. Every time I hear the movie, I think, that's one of Chris's favorites. I need to check that out. And that also so now good. double hours. So I have two to watch. Yes, get okay. busy. Oh, and Burnt Orange Heresy. So you're giving me all kinds of recommendations today. I mean, that wouldn't make my one my 100 favorite movies of all time or anything, but it definitely is worth seeing, I think. Oh, no, I know. Yeah, that's just one to watch. Well, let's see the pandemic. Oh, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm trying to think of more that might have been in my top ten. I think Lake yeah. Herbeau. The French thriller by Clouseau, I think uh, that was probably in my top ten. Okay. I bet The Conversation, um, Ooh, the Francis Ford Coppola movie, I bet that was in my top ten. Yeah, I'm a big fan a- of those 1970s paranoid thrillers, so uh, it was probably, the top 100 was probably jammed with those movies like The Parallax View and Three Days of the Condor and All the President's Men. I love those. Yeah, that's such a great period of film, especially those paranoid movies. I love them as well. Oh, well, man, so many good ones. Yeah, I was going to say, let's say the pandemic's over, there's a vaccine, everything's good. And the landmark Uptown Theater in Minneapolis asks you to program a triple feature to welcome everybody back. Do you have any idea what theme star or filmmaker you would choose or the movies you might show? Gosh. I know, put you on the spot. <laughs> I I mean, it kind of seems like it would make sense to show movies that you, or that I, 
love but think people haven't seen. So I don't think Yeah, so I don't think Susan Kane would be on that list. Um you know, one movie that is popping into my mind uh that I when uh Parasite started getting all the attention that it deservedly started getting last summer and fall, I mm-hmm. wrote a story actually for the paper about hey People are finally discovering how good South Korean movies are. Here are a bunch of them that came out in the last uh, 20 years or so that are as good as or almost as good as Parasite. You should catch up on these. And Mm -hmm. so one movie that's popping into my head that I would maybe pick is this movie called Chaser. Okay. It is kind of a cat and mouse movie, a serial killer and a cop who is on the trail of the serial killer and their paths cross uh, a number of times. In fact, the serial killer is even in custody for a while, but he keeps sort of eluding the authorities. Uh, it's really good, really fun. It's kind of violent, but uh, very clever. The twists and turns are very clever. And I don't really know. Good. So, yeah, I might even go for a little South Korean thriller theme just because I think there are a bunch of those that that folks would love if they saw them. <clears throat> I mean, the other one from from him is uh, uh, Memories of Murder. That's a great movie that I think people would love if they had a chance yeah. to see. And maybe also Age of Shadows which is sort of about the Korean resistance to Japan occupying the country. Um, so I don't know. That, those are three that pop into my head. They're not necessarily my three all-time favorite movies, but I feel like they would be crowd pleasers that people maybe, that crowds don't know about yet. <laughs> I love that idea. That's one of my favorite things about going to the theaters and film festivals is discovering new movies that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. So I think that's a really good idea. Well, I know you're an avid floaty pen collector. So wow. what are some of the crown jewels of your collection? And do you ever write with them or are they just like purely to collect? They're mostly to collect, but I do sometimes write with them. Last night, in fact, I was reading in bed and there was something I wanted to underline and I have so the collection is housed in two like plastic uh tiered display case things okay uh and I guess I probably maybe at this point have I don't know 250 or 300 of them but I have a bunch of duplicates thrown in my uh um what do you call the table next to your bed end table Oh, yeah. So I reached in there and grabbed one of those duplicates and wrote a note myself. So I sometimes write with them, but not usually. Usually I just sort of gaze at them and remember the places I got them, which is probably the crown jewels probably come from interesting places, I guess, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Oh, one that I love just because it's weird is from Springfield, Illinois, the um, Lincoln sites in Springfield, Illinois. and. The reason I like it and think it's weird is because when you tip it back and forth, Lincoln walks from his boyhood home, which makes sense, 
to his own tomb, which to me does not really make sense. No, it's kind of weird. It's a little bit weird. So I like that one. I'm also a fan of funiculars. So anytime I can get a floaty pen at a funicular, that feels like kind of a double score. And I was in Europe uh, this past January and got floaty pens at both the funiculars in Prague and Budapest. So that was a nice score. Yeah. Oh, I have some movie ones, too. Some movie yeah, promotional okay. ones. Oh, yeah. Uh, one I know is for... What was the name of that movie where Juliette Binoche, um, I think was maybe bipolar and had a kid who was, oh, B season? Is it called B season? I think that's the right name. Oh, yeah, yeah, B season. And it turns out that Juliette, yep, yep. And Julia Pinoche has created this kind of art installation in a room in their home. Anyway, that movie, for whatever reason, has a floaty pen promo item. So I have that one, and I think that one's probably pretty rare. I don't, I've certainly never seen one in real life, anyway. I was going to say, yeah, that would be rare. Do people send floaty pens they find to you, like, on vacation or... Sometimes people will bring them. They're becoming harder to find. I think they're not as popular as they were, like, let's say, 20 years ago. But sometimes people Mm -hmm. will bring them back from vacation. And one time I wrote a story. This was when I was still at the Pioneer Press. I wrote a story about a a trip to Alaska for a travel section. And I mentioned that I had found a couple of floaty pens from my collection on the trip. And a reader read that story and sent me an email and said, hey, my husband just died a couple months ago, and I'm cleaning out some stuff in our house, and I found in our attic some pens that I think are the kind of pen you're talking about, um, and I'd like to send them to you. And I was like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly take your husband's pens. Uh, I would feel terrible about that. And she said, well, I'm just going to throw them away if you don't take them, so I'd love to send them to you. So, so anyway, this this reader who I've never met and didn't know at all sent me, I think, probably 10 that look like they're maybe from the 1960s. Um, Yeah, and from, like, Paris and, uh, I think, Austria. Yeah, it was super super nice of her. Um, So I have a couple of additions to my collection that came from people I don't even know. Yeah, I love that. That's really nice that they read something you wrote and it touched them. Very cool. Well, some yeah. people have been like, baking bread and others are using this pandemic time to garden or learn something new. So have you picked up any new hobbies or are there new rituals you're doing during quarantine or pandemic time, I should say? I wish I were baking bread or gardening, but I'm not doing either of those you. things. <laughs> I have been going for more walks, which is certainly easier for me than it is for you, where did you say the other day it was 118 degrees? Yeah, and we just got another extreme heat warning today. So it's going to be 115 today, and it's election day. But most of us oh. are finding all here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's a really lovely uh, 71 degrees here today. So, like, almost half of your temperature. But um, yeah. one thing I have been doing that's new, I guess, maybe kind of in that vein is making popsicles. Ooh, um, fun. 
like fruit juice or? Well, the first, I saw a recipe in a magazine and they were so pretty that I thought, I think I want to make those. They also sounded delicious. And these, those were made with Greek yogurt and apricot jam. So I ordered a popsicle mold thing with, you know, the 10 spaces to put in juice or whatever and made those and they were delicious. And then I started trying to come up with other combos. So the next ones I made were peanut butter and jelly popsicles. And then I made uh, caramel lemon curd popsicles. So I am doing a little popsicle experimentation. I think that might be my only pandemic project. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's one of the more creative ones I've heard so far. I am hopeless in the kitchen, so that was, like, completely impressive. I could never do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and with 118 degrees, you need some popsicles. Maybe you should invest in in one of those molds. I should take a plunge and make some popsicles. <laughs> They're really easy. If I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to talk to me today about your favorite movies and just other things that you've been up to. This was really fun. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks very much for thinking to me. It was fun to get to chat with you. I feel like I've been yammering the whole time and I didn't ask you any questions at all. Oh, no, you're fine. This was a blast. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your day and enjoy that 71 degrees. (laughs) I will. Stay cool. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.